0: John chapter 12. Jesus is just a day or two away from his crucifixion. We would say he's staring it in the face, and it's staring him in the face. And I want you to see what he says in verse 31. Remember who he's speaking with. Surrounding him in this context are his disciples, the apostles. There are skeptics there. There are his enemies. The chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees. They're there as well. There are unbelieving Jews in the crowd that are listening to him. And Jesus is going to say something very significant about his crucifixion. About the greatest event in the history of the world. He has spoken about it before in his public ministry. And he addresses it. Head on right here. Look at what he says in verse 31. I want you to listen close now. And let God deal with us and speak to us this morning. Jesus said. Now. Is the judgment of this world. Now. Shall the prince of this world. Be cast out. And I. If I be lifted up from the earth. I will draw all men unto me. This he said, verse 33, signifying what death he should die. It's interesting that in this gospel, the gospel of John on three separate occasions, in chapter 2, chapter 7, and chapter 8, Jesus makes this statement. He says, my hour is not yet come. My hour is not yet come. When you understand that in the Gospels and even in Scripture as a whole, the term hour, it could, remain, it could mean or refer to 60 minutes of time. But most of the occasions it's used, it means not necessarily 60 minutes. It means a moment or a point in time or an event or a segment of history. So Jesus is saying, now listen, he says in verse 2 at the first public miracle, he says, now look, my hour, my hour, my time is not yet come. In chapter 7, his hour had not yet come. Chapter 8, his hour, his time, what time? What time is that referring to? What hour, what moment in history is being referred to there? I want you to quickly go to luke chapter twenty two i want you to see this quickly go there in your bible luke twenty two he there's a statement made about your hour that time luke chapter twenty two look at verse fifty three luke twenty two fifty three jesus says and i want you to see this this is very significant jesus is In the garden, the chief priest and the soldiers that were assigned to the temple, they come to arrest Jesus. Notice what he says. When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me. In other words, you didn't arrest me then. So now you're coming out here and you're wanting to arrest me. Notice what he says. But this is your hour. This is your hour. In other words, this is your time. This is your moment in history. He said this is your hour, and don't, please don't miss this, in the power of darkness. In other words, this is your hour, this is your moment, this is your time, and this is the time of the power of darkness. Who do you think the power of darkness is referring to? It's referring to Satan. It's referring to Satan's agenda to squelch, to silence the Lamb of God to literally put to death Jesus and his redemptive plan. Now, I use a play on words there. And Jesus is saying there, as he's being led away from the garden, he says, I want you to know, right now, right now, this is your moment. (laughs) But if I can add this, Jesus' moment is coming. Jesus' time... He said all through his life, all through his public ministry, hey, my time has not yet arrived. My hour's not here yet. When they wanted to make him king, uh uh-uh, my hour's not come. When Mary wanted him to exert himself and he says, wait a minute, my hour, my time has not yet come. Chapter 7, chapter 8, my time has not yet come. Wait a minute, it's not time yet. It's not time for me to be lifted up. It's not time for me to be glorified. It's not time for me to come and to fulfill everything that my father has told me to do, that's coming, that day's gonna arrive. It's, it's not here yet. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, even as he's being led away, even as the chief priests and the soldiers are binding his hands, he says, I want you to know something. This is your time, and it's the time of the power of darkness. It's not my time yet, but it's almost here. So go back to John chapter 12 and in light of what Jesus is saying, in light of our understanding of when he talks about now and he talks about the hour and he talks about a sequence of events and a point in history, he says, again, he's staring the cross in the face. He who knows everything knows what's about to happen. In fact, chapter 13, verse 1, that we're going to cover later on uh, in, in, in subsequent weeks, he even refers to the fact that Jesus knows fully well everything that's going to take place. Don't, don't ever think that Jesus was caught off guard by the crucifixion. Friend, friend, listen. This is Jesus' plan all along. From not just the beginning of time and the beginning of creation, but from the dawn of eternity. Slain from the foundation of the world. This has always been part of the plan of God and his redemptive history and redemptive agenda for the world. Jesus says to this crowd, N-O-W, now. Now is the judgment of the world. Now shall the prince of the world be cast out and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Jesus says in John chapter 12 verse 23, He said, uh, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. John 17 1, These words spake Jesus and lifted His eyes to heaven. And He said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify Thy Son that Thy Son may also glorify Thee. Jesus was looking at the cross, was just a day or two hours away from His crucifixion. And here, listen, He was announcing the victory. Which he would accomplish through his atoning death and his shed blood on the cross. Jesus shows us what, his accomplished, what he accomplished through the finished work of the cross. I'm talking to us this morning on this subject the old rugged cross made the difference. You're like, that's a song, isn't it? Yes. You know why it's a song? Because it's true. It made the difference. The cross of Jesus made the difference. How did the cross make the difference? In what ways? He tells us three ways right here. I want to show those to you this morning. First of all, through the finished work of the cross. Listen now. The world was exposed and condemned. The world was exposed and condemned. Notice what he says there in verse 31. Now, now is the judgment now's the judgment of this world the world judgment there is an interesting word and it carries the idea of a courtroom scene it means a tribunal you and I as soon as i said courtroom you understand what that means there's a judge there's a prosecutor there's a defender <laughs> many times there's a jury There's an audience there watching the proceedings. Sentences are passed. Judgments are made. Jesus is saying that in the tribunal, in the eternal courtroom, now the world is on trial. And they're going to be exposed. And because of what's going to be exposed, they're going to be condemned. By the way, I remind you of what he already said in this book in John chapter 3. He says that those that don't believe are already condemned. And that the very wrath of God abides on everyone who lives in unbelief. The world is revealed as desperately wicked and utterly bankrupt. He says the world. What does he mean by the world? The world, as one writer said, the world that crucified the Lord of glory. The world that considered it considered as a vast and complicated kingdom of Satan. Breathing his spirit, doing his work and involved in his doom. And friend, I have to tell you that's everybody that does not name the name of Jesus. That's everyone who was born into this world a sinner. We're sinners by birth. We're sinners by choice. We're sinners by nature. And all of us share in that doom and in that spirit. I want to remind you about the injustice of the cross from a human perspective. It fully reveals, like nothing else, the bankruptcy and the sheer depravity of the human heart called by one writer, the ultimate miscarriage of justice. Speaking of the crucifixion. What does scripture say? The just, the righteous dying for the unjust. Remember Pilate when he asked the question, why? What evil has he done? He asked that to the mob that was clamoring for Jesus to be crucified. And Pilate thought, if I could say it this way, that surely when, they, when he gave the people a choice of choosing Barabbas or choosing Jesus, he thought it was going to be a slam dunk. Remember his wife coming to him and saying, please, have nothing to do with this just man. Pilate knew Jesus was completely innocent. Oh, he didn't even understand just how innocent Jesus was. Completely, completely, completely innocent. Infinitely innocent. He didn't deserve that. Nothing about that he deserved. You know that everything that's wrong about the human heart was on full display at the crucifixion. Greed, pride, jealousy, murder, animosity, self-idolatry, self-assertion, the deification of man, Everything. Everything that's wrong about our own depravity, everything that's depraved in our nature was on full display at the crucifixion. The cruelty. The hatefulness. The hate-filled words and mobs. The hate-filled attitude of the crowd there. And everybody standing by that was crying out And they shouted and they jeered and they cheered when he was lifted up. And we stand here today and we look at that with shame and reproach. And we, we, we shame those people. And rightfully so. But I want you to go with me today to that day, that Friday, that Friday morning on that hillside outside of Jerusalem and I want you to walk with me and let's, let's kind of get close to the crowd and let's make our way through the crowd if we can. This awfully ugly and hateful and hate-filled crowd represented in the crowd that day is every type of human depravity known to man that you can even imagine, expressions of human wickedness. And I don't have the time or the vocabulary to describe every one of them. But they're they're represented in the crowd. It's because they're represented in every human heart. But as we press our way through the crowd, we spot the executioner standing at the foot of the cross with the hammer still in his hand. We've walked past the crowd and we've looked at them and we've seen their sin and we've seen their shame and their degradation and it repulses us and we're turned off by it. And then we get to the one who holds the hammer in his hand. And we turn and round his shoulder and look into his face. And as soon as he turns toward us, we catch a glimpse of who it is that crucified Jesus. Was it the Jewish officials? Was it the Roman soldiers? Was it this wicked mob here that crucified Jesus? I know, I think I know the one holding the hammer in his hand. But as he turns and we look, you know who the one holding the hammer is? Me. And you. If you don't see yourself... As the one holding the hammer that crucified Jesus, then you've missed the whole message of the Bible. You see, ladies and gentlemen, it was me. I see me. It was me. I killed Jesus. I nailed him to the cross, my sin, my disobedience, my selfishness, my pride, my rebellion. I killed Jesus and wait a minute, you killed Jesus. He died because of me. He died because of you. We were not innocent, we weren't just innocent bystanders standing there in the crowd. No, friend, we're the ones that put him to death. See, we're the ones really on trial. We're the ones who are exposed. We're the ones who our depravity is on full display. And we're the ones condemned. Just along with everyone else in this world. Nobody has a defense in themselves now. The human heart is ugly, it's deceitful, it's desperately wicked, and I see messages of humanism all over the place in commercials, on social media, even among Christian people, and they put these little little pictures and words and signs and T-shirts and all this stuff up, and it's like believe in yourself. Wait a minute, friend, don't you dare believe in yourself? Your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. You are enough. I keep reading you're enough. No, you're not enough. That's why you need Jesus. You're not enough to get yourself to heaven. You're totally... You say, well, hey, friend, hey, listen. Let's make sure that what we say and what we post and what we display is true. Away with this Christianized humanism. I'm afraid we don't know enough true biblical theology to debate our way out of a wet paper bag. Be discerning. No, you're not enough and I'm not enough either. That's why we need grace. That's why we need Jesus. That's why he came to die. That's why his blood covers our sins and his power erases our weakness. You and Jesus are enough but not you alone. The world's exposed and condemned. But number two, now, don't be mad at me. Stay with me now. Because I love this part. Now, I'm, I'm, camp meeting's about to take place in CP right here. Through the finished work of the cross, number two, the devil was defeated. I want to take off running. I don't know where I'd run. But anyway, I'd be tired by the time I got to the front row. <laughs> Look at what he said, verse 31. Are you still with me? Say amen. He said, "Now's the judgment of the world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. It's the word ballo. It means to throw out. You ever thrown somebody out of somewhere? Some of you teachers like, yeah, I threw a kid out of class one day. I threw some, I threw them out. They were rowdy, causing a bunch of trouble. Maybe some of you coaches, man, there's a time you just threw somebody out of practice. Hey, hey, get. Go on and get. and what? Go on and get. You say, what does that mean? That means get out of here. Go on and get. Jesus said, now, the prince of this world. Who's the prince of this world? Well, it's Satan. He's the prince of this world somebody said, uh, Jesus said he's the prince and they say he's the king he does have authority and power, but not anymore and Jesus said that when I die on the cross and when I rise again he's getting kicked out he's going to be put in his place listen to me that means that Satan has no hold on you unless you let him I didn't say this, Jesus did. He said, when I I finish the work of the cross, Satan is going to have no hold on your life because he's already been defeated. We are the ones, though, who live defeated, but we're not supposed to live defeated. The devil is because he is defeated. Remember what Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is going to be free indeed. Where did that happen? It happened on the cross. Deliver the greatest blow to the devil, that that in the garden. Remember, this is your time, Satan, in the garden. As Jesus was being led away, this is your time. This is your time. Satan was filled, I'm sure, with whatever demonic, wicked, wicked, heinous, depraved glee. If Satan can be gleeful, he was gleeful. If Satan can muster happiness, he was happy when Jesus was being led away to be crucified. And he thought in his own self-deception. Brother, nobody's ever been self-deceived like Satan. In his own self-deception, I'm sure if hell throws parties, hell was throwing a party. Every fallen angel, every demonic being was in an uproar over the crucifixion. There he is. They're leading him away. Listen, listen to the hammer. Listen to the hammer. I just broke something. That's okay. And at the same time, at the same time though, at the same time, and I'm not smart enough and I'm not intelligent enough To be able to figure out all that was taking place right then. But I'm just telling you right now. There's a lot I do not know. But here's what I do know. That there came a time about 3 o'clock. About 3 o'clock that afternoon. When Jesus looked up to the Father. And he said, it is finished. That means the debt was paid. That means that the war was over. That means that the, that the soldiers can come home. The, it means all of that. It means that the debt's been paid and the prisoner has been set free. It is finished. And I'll tell you what else it means. It means the devil was defeated. On the cross. Napoleon Bonaparte who led France obviously in the Napoleonic Wars literally conquer all of Europe. He was defeated on Sunday afternoon, June 18th. That's my wedding anniversary, by the way. 1815. One historian called it the day that decided Europe's fate. And it was at that place outside of Waterloo, Belgium. They say that in his later years, that every now and then, Napoleon Bonaparte in exile would get out a map, at least a map of the world of Europe at the time. And he would always put his finger on a spot on that map and he'd say, and look around at those that were listening. Right there, right there. This whole world, this whole world would be mine if not for that one little spot called Waterloo. Can I tell you this morning, I imagined Satan getting out a map of the world and he putting his little bony finger on that spot outside Jerusalem called Calvary. And I can hear in my mind's eye Satan saying, this whole world and everybody in it would be mine if not for that one little spot outside Jerusalem called Calvary. The devil's defeated. So why does he have authority in your life? why are you letting him have his way? You see, the only power he has is the power you allow him to have. I'm talking to some people, and this week, this week, the devil has beat the ever-loving tar out of you. Because you've let him. He's busted you up one side and down the other because you've let him. You say, how do I let him? You let him by saying yes to him. You let him by listening to him. You let him beat you up by saying yes and yielding to temptation. You who have all the weapons at your disposal and should be using those weapons against the devil, you've relinquished your weapons and you're letting him use the weapons on you. He's defeated. You're the one with the victory. Live like it. Claim it. Believe it. Walk in it. Don't walk out of here in shame. Don't walk out of here defeated, brother. Lift up your head. Walk in victory. Live in the power of God. Rejoice. You have Jesus in all the disposal of heaven in your hands. Stop walking around negative. Stop walking around defeated. Stop walking around with the cloud over you. Remove the cloud. You can live in obedience. There's not one sin in this world that has to reign in your life or over your heart. Live in victory. Because whom the sun sets free is going to be free indeed. And I close with this. Through the finished work of the cross, Jesus was lifted up. Drawing all men to himself for salvation. I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. The cross says to sinners, you're bankrupt, you're lost, and you're incapable of saving yourself because of that, you deserve eternal wrath. But God loves you. And Jesus paid your sin debt. And there's room at the cross for you. That's what the cross says to you today. That's what Jesus says to you today. And those same hands that were pierced, nailed to the wood, are held out for you. Room. Will you realize this morning that you're spiritually bankrupt? You cannot save yourself, dear friend. Some of you in this room have tried every religion, every church, everything, every thrill to bring you peace and satisfaction and the calm, the uneasiness in your eternal soul, and nothing has availed. And I tell you today, lay it all behind reach your hand out to the nail scarred hand that's reaching out for you and come to Jesus today because there's room at the cross just for you how much room is there preacher there's enough for one more I'm glad that on February the 27th 1983 I'm glad there was room that night for one more I came forward and trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior I said yes to Jesus in my spirit in my heart I didn't realize this, but while I got saved, I came out of a prayer room. It's not about a room or about a location, okay? It's about Christ. I got saved that night. When I came out of a prayer room over here, my sister was sitting there on the front row, and a Christian was showing her how to be saved. My sister and I got saved on the same night. So when I walked out of the prayer room, I was saved. How much more room was there at the cross? There was room for one more. My sister... And can I tell you something? That was in 1983. <laughs> 33 years ago. Four years ago. And there's plenty of room for every sinner that will repent and come and trust Jesus. And there's room for you today. I love the song, though millions have come, though billions have come, there's still room for there's room enough for whosoever will come will you I close today by asking the big question so what preacher what does this have to do with me I'm glad you asked three statements number one would you respond correctly to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life You see while I've been talking this morning Somebody else has been talking on the inside That's the Holy Spirit And he's been gently wooing and drawing you For this moment He's been speaking to you He's been speaking to unsaved people He's been speaking to believers About your need and your sin And your situation Will you say yes to him? Statement number two Will you come to Jesus today? Will you trust him alone for your salvation today, right now? And then I say to all the believers in here, start living free. Aren't you tired of getting kicked? Aren't you tired of getting beat up? Aren't you tired of getting defeated? Aren't you tired of getting bullied by the eternal bully of the ages? You're free. Stop living in bondage. Stop saying yes to sin. Stop letting him have dominion and reign and say so in your life. Wake up, wise up and rejoice and claim and live in the victory that Jesus has supplied and promised to you and to me.